On this episode of Architect, we take a look at furniture, fixtures, and equipment, how the design considerations are made early on, impact the AV and the IT, all that and more, next on Architect. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Architect, Episode 3, recorded Tuesday, June 25th, 2019, FFNE. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. This is Architect, a podcast by AV Nation that looks at the architectural space and the AV space and how the two come together. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss uh, all things architectural and technology, uh, first and foremost, uh, Melissa Pacey. Melissa is from HGA. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, and two old stalwarts uh, on the uh, Aviation uh, podcast who both work for furniture companies now, which is why we're having them on this discussion. First and foremost, Mr. Mark Coxon. Welcome, sir. How are you, Tim? I am well. Mark is from Tangram uh, out in Southern California. And George Fournier uh, from Danker. Uh, he is from the on the East Coast. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, thanks so much. Uh, so, Melissa, we'll start with you on this. Um, FF&E. Uh, it, it, first, I want to just define what FF&E is, right? Um, and then ask you, when you're designing a space, when does it come into play? Great. So, um, FF&E, furniture fixtures, um, basically finishes anything that's in the space that's not necessarily just the walls uh, or the space planning. So really when we're designing a space, it's one of the first things that we're thinking about. We're thinking about clearance around furniture, how that might lay out. Um, it literally comes like we're thinking about sizes of things, how much space they take up when we're in the bubble diagram phase. So, you know, for us, especially as interior designers, thinking about space, uh, furniture is usually the largest occupant of that space. And so it's definitely on the forefront of our minds from the beginning. So you start when you, when you even, uh, you said when you first start, so be, like as you're talking about the walls or the space or even before then? Sure. Um, you know, in many cases, the furniture placement define where the walls go. Often, even on our technical drawings, we'll have the um, furniture vendors come in and make sure that we've left enough space for the walls. So often our drawings will say, you know, verify with furniture dimensions. Um, and quite frankly, you know, table sizes and conference rooms often define where the walls go so that we have enough clearance around those tables um, to make the room work properly. Well, Mark and George, that's actually why we brought you guys on this. So Mark, we'll start with you on this. When you're talking with, working with architects, uh, how important is it to get in, like Melissa said, as they're considering where the walls go and making sure they have clearance, but also making sure that there's enough room for technology that, you know, folks, the, the integrators and the technologists are going to put in? Um, it's, it's severely important. And it, it's funny because even architects, I remember an article I read a long time ago that said, you know, like 80% of architects agree that technology is a major part of, of their design and 20% of them actually engage a technology person before the end of the project, wow. which is a, which is a very interesting stat, right? So, um, but no, I mean, it, it's very important to be in early. I mean, I think as AV people, we all know that, that things take infrastructure, you know, you need backing and you need cabling and you need all these things to run technology. Um, but Many times, you know, we forget about even being in that conversation and why they're 
why they're choosing the technology they're choosing in the first place. Like, what are we doing in this room? What's the purpose of the room? Is this, a, is this a room where we have a meeting where one person does a presentation from the front and nine people sit at a table and listen? Or is this a place where we really need to be doing, you know, some brainstorming, engineering work, things where we collaborate more together? And does that define, you know, different technology layout and even a different room layout? And, you know, many times we get brought in at the end, like, hey, we have this room and, and uh, we need a TV at the end because we're going to have a meeting next week. Um, and that's obviously way too late for us to, to be involved in those projects. George, same kind of question here is how do you get there? You know, how, how do you get in early? Like, like Mark said, sometimes they'll, they'll call up the, the, t- the technology folks and say, hey, you know, we have a meeting tomorrow. We need a TV and a, a display or a projector, you know. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, it's, it's a learning curve that I've been going through over the last year is, you know, I've got 30 plus years in the AV industry thinking in one way, you know, basically we, we curse the furniture people because we always had to come in and, hey, get, cut a hole in your, your $30,000 conference room table uh, at the end of the job and we got to get it done in the week. Um, but now coming in from the quote furniture side, um, it, we're right, we're in the conversation at the very beginning of the user experience of how are they going to use the space? What are they planning to do? Are they going to have a guy standing up in front of uh, the screen and lecturing people? Or is it supposed to be an informal space where people can just come in BYOD and, and share their, what they're using up on the screen or share it to each other's uh, devices? Um, so it's, it, and, and how formal or informal is that space going to be? So a lot of it comes down to, you know, the usage and the architects are, have been open to that for a while. And, you know, the, the curse of the industry was ooh, open spaces, open spaces, how many people love open spaces or hate open spaces, but now it's how do we best use those spaces? And, you know, you can have these small little three person huddle areas that don't even have um, you know, um, uh, scheduling on them. So it's just for ad hoc meetings where you can just run in there real quick, or it's a, it's a formal, you know, classic conference room where everybody sits at the long boardroom table um, and, and finding out how to get all these key players in place at the beginning is, is, is one of the challenges. Um, but it's one of the things I've seen a lot of changes going on and a lot of openness to over the last year that I haven't seen previously. Melissa, when I was doing research for, for this for this episode, I, I came across a a term that I was somewhat familiar with, but not entirely, and that was flexible space, space or flexible building. When Absolutely, it, yeah. Point, what, what does that mean? So what we've noticed as kind of a emerging trend in the industry is that real estate is super expensive, and essentially occupiers don't want to pay to have space that is used in just one way. And so the way that we do that is we create space that can be used in multiple ways throughout the day to keep it activated um, for as long as it's occupied. And so in order to do that, it's not necessarily a one size fits all solution. Uh, You have to have the space be able to transform to meet those different needs throughout the day. So for instance, Um, It could be a break room that turns into an all-hands area. So where in the past we would have a break room with just tables, chairs, food, plumbing, whatnot. Now maybe we have to integrate a large screen, um, blackout shades, um, 
closets to store, stackable chairs, things like that. So it's trying to marry up these spaces that can be used together um, most easily and then putting in place the infrastructure to be able to modify them to meet those uses throughout the day in the most easy way. Mark, you mentioned a lot of times you're you're having to you know say that this space is going to be X, Y, or Z, and, and designing the technology around that. But to Melissa's point, you know, a lot of these folks are saying, you know, this has to be a multi-use, right? Uh, is 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 more the term from the AV side that I've heard. Uh, but this makes sense, calling it a flexible space. How do you design on that then? Well, I think I mean I think you you do a few key things. I mean. One thing I, to come back to when you're talking about flexible space and you kind of had to look it up and, and, you know, I think one thing we do poorly as AV people, one of the reasons we don't get to the table early is we, we don't understand these terms well. Hey, man, right? brother. Say that like, again. <laughs> we don't understand the language of the designer and the architect. And in order to, to add value and to, to earn a seat at that table, we have to understand the, the things that they're thinking about and that they're worried about. And, you know, so like terms like activity-based working and flexible space and all of these things, we, we need to know what they mean when they throw those out there um, and, and actively utilize those when we come in and ask for a meeting. Like, hey, I know, you're, I know you're trying to plan flexible spaces and these are the challenges that I know you're facing and these are ways that I think we can help you tackle them. And, you know, infrastructure is a huge one. I know even in flexible office space, when you have modular walls and things where maybe a, a client has rented out a, you know, a shell that's 20,000 square feet, but that may change over time from, you know, four offices to 10 or, or, you know, three offices in a bullpen or whatever it happens to be based on the space. You know, we used to take a real hard look at that and say, now, how do we design infrastructure to grow with that? Um, you know, I remember one building we did where all of the walls were modular. And so, you know, we didn't want the cable to be a problem every time they moved a wall. So what we did is we, we actually anchored all the infrastructure from the closets to places above the grid and actually created ports above grid. And then we actually, and then we put the, um, you know, the infrastructure in the walls and we created a port on the wall where you would plug in your computer, but we also created one on the top of the wall that would be above grid. So then what happened is if you ever move the walls around, you move the space around, all you had to do was create a new jumper from the house infrastructure that was on the shell over to the top of that wall. And that was the only piece of cable that changed that you had to troubleshoot, that you had to worry about getting unplugged or any of that kind of stuff. The house cable was always, always intact. And so, you know, there are all sorts of little things that you can start to think of when you're, when you're trying to plan out a space. I mean, today with Wi-Fi, it makes a lot of things easier. But, um, you know, we're working on a project right now where people want to have their, their workspaces completely configurable. So everything needs to be modular. It needs to be like this desk tomorrow, maybe somebody that needs a whole bunch of storage and horizontal filing cabinets and they want to sit stand and not a, a sit space and they need a chair next to them to house, you know, impromptu meetings and we need the tech to be able to flex with all of that. And so we're, we're facing these challenges every day and that's, I think, part of our value as a technology people, but we have to understand the terminology and what they're trying to accomplish. George, same kind of question is, is how do you design for a space that is inherently adjustable, modular, flexible? Um, lots and lots of casters. <laughs> um, we had actually, at, you know, at Infocom, one of the um, uh, furniture manufacturers we deal with has a mandatory uh, breakfast that we had to uh, attend. And one of the things that they've, they've been launching is flexible furniture, um, where it's sit-stand desks or um, that all have personal uh, personal dividers on them and personal um, sound absorption uh, material 
so that you can reconfigure your area um, when you, depending on what project you're working on. So say like, personally for me, I work in, a, in an area of uh, Danker where all the designers are in the same area, but we may be, get assigned to different projects. So we can actually slide our desks around and move them around and actually slide your stuff clear across the other end of the building. Um, everything goes wireless now. And, and so from a, from a classic um, data infrastructure side, um, your Wi-Fi goes crazy and you have to make sure you've got plenty of coverage for that. But, you know, it's like power is the only thing that hits the floors anymore. And it's, the, you know, and, and again, though, that all goes back to how is the use. Um, some places are still going to have classic, what we would consider classic cube, uh, cube farms, but their lunchroom may be, uh, be need to be used once a month for town halls. So now magically you have to turn it into this multi-purpose room where it has streaming video, projection, um, voice lift. Um, it may be a place where they have um, uh, cocktail parties. So it may have to have DJ uh, integration and all this stuff. So there's a lot of multi-purposes that the, that the clients are actually driving. And uh, it, it's interesting to try to design around that, but it's just, it's completely um, mind boggling if you sit there and try to say, hey, okay, it's this. It's that, you know, you for years in AV, we had, okay, you have six conference rooms. There's small, medium, large, large, extra large, and the visible room. And that's, that's all you had. Um, that's all gone away, you know, for in, in our realm. You know, it's all, you know, you've got these portable telephone booth type office set, setups that you can set up and, and link a whole bunch of them together. Um, you know, you've got a lot of, there's, there's a lot of, um, uh, multiple uh, uh, types of solutions that are available that just make you have to think out of the box real quick. Well, and, and this is from Mark or, or Georgie, the one, and, and Melissa, feel free to jump in on this. How do you how do you get the I'm going to say the traditional AV uh, integrator uh, who might be listening to this, who who's sitting here going, well, well, but I have to put the projector somewhere, right? I have to put right. the display somewhere. I, I've got to have cabling, right? How do you get their their brain wrapped around this idea of a flexible space or a flexible building when they're not wrong? You yes, you're going to have certain hard installation points, but there are other areas, in, in especially when when it comes to the technology, where they they can be flexible. Well, I think um, for us, our first goal is to get them to the table really early, and so what we try to do is set up meetings early on with furniture, you know general contractor, us, uh, AV, and get everybody to the table so that we're all communicating early on so that they can really understand the big picture. And um, when they're, you know, like, well, we just need this. It's like, well, how else can we do it? We kind of ask them a lot of those questions to try to get them thinking a little bit more outside of the box. Um, and I think just having them in the room with everybody with all of their requirements help um, everybody kind of see what's required from everyone else's perspective. And so for us, it's really just that communication with the whole team. Right. Right. And, and for the, for the classical AV guys who are, you know, girls that don't, don't want to uh, narrow it down there, but um, is that part of it is you gotta you have, pay attention to the construction, the way things are going now. Modular wall systems are huge. And those manufacturers are already putting the mounting points, the wiring points, and the cabling in there. So they're showing up on site already wired 
we just have to work, not just have to, but we have to design around, as Mark mentioned earlier, putting the, inverting the room. You know, we're running the, the data and any video or HD base T or whatever distribution systems you're using in the ceiling because it has to come down the walls uh, and these walls may move. Um, so your hard points change, but a lot of the wireless collaboration um, and the simple collaboration type systems are going to really take off because it's being driven by this, the classic, um, uh, you know, a wired system having switchers under the table and having this whole harness of cabling that has to come from the table to the wall is, is going away um, for a lot of this that I see. Can, can yeah. I say some, I'd oh, like to ahead. say something too on that. Sorry about, sorry, Melissa. I, I'd, I'd like to say too, I think, you know, many times as AV people, um, we get real, we get real bullish on the technology early in a project. And honestly, the, the technology could be completely different by the time the project's done. So, so we really have to think about not, not the technology itself and not specific, but really get down to the intent of the space. And I, I think, you know, I've sat in a meeting where I heard another AV company berate an architect for 20 minutes about whether they were going to be using VGA or DVI or HDMI and showing him the difference between ports on a computer and actually said the words, I've been trying to mitigate the analog to digital transition for the last 10 years, sometimes unsuccessfully, to when the architect finally looked at me with this look in his eyes like, please help me. Please help me right, right now. And the whole point was, was that guess what? Yes, that's all going to be important when we implement the system, right? And as AV people, those are things that we need to manage. But those are things we need to manage in the background. And, you know, I looked at this, I looked at this, this other guy from this other company and I said, I understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to make sure I don't bid a VGA switch versus your, your HDMI matrix so that we're on the same price point. But we all know that these systems all leverage Cat5 cable. And whatever card you need to put on the end of that to convert it from a data connection to a whatever connection you need just goes in the card frame. So let's just all agree to run data cabling and to use some type of system with a flexible card frame that we can put in whatever the customer needs by the time we do that. But then we don't have to ask this architect what port the council chambers member from, you know, Inland Empire is going to have on his computer when he walks in to have a meeting because he has no clue, right? right. So I, I think many times as technology people, we really get hung up on the technology and we try to make that a sticking point in a meeting when really what we need to do is, is, is listen with the intent to provide something that's going to Exactly. Result. And, and we shoot ourselves in the foot. And sorry, it frustrates me because I've seen it over and over again. Yep. Yep. No, exactly. It was, it was funny. It was as, as an AV person, when Avixa went through their name change, I looked at them and went, user experience? What? And, but now it's like uh, when I watch the, quote, furniture people in action, they sit there and go, okay, how are you going to use the space? How do you want to do this? What do you want? What do you want the field to be like? Even before they start talking about which manufacturers are going to use, what colors they're going to use, it's all about how, what that, that intent for that space is going to be. And we have to do the same thing. We have to sit and listen, which goes against you know, what's been ingrained in us. We, we're always taught to be the tellers, always taught to be the, the dun, 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 we're here to save the day and make AV work for you. And you know what? It's yes, we do. We still need to do that, but 
we have to listen to them first. We don't shove something down their throat. And as long as we take that time to listen and help them with their experience, help them achieve their own wow, then that's when we can, you know, that's when we get called back to the table the next time. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think um, one of the things that I know has been a challenge in the past is that, you know, kind of going back to Tim's question about flexible space is we'll have something that maybe the tables are you know, wired for training, but then they can come apart to make one big table for um, conference setting. But what we'll find is that the um, the client will never do that because the cabling is so robust that they're not actually able to kind of like take it all apart, put it all back together. And so really like making sure that the infrastructure doesn't impede the use, I think is a huge, um, you know, a huge benefit when we're working, um, you know, with all of those different trades to make sure that actual intent of the space and the furniture is being met. Right, very good. Uh, exactly. Um, Mark, we'll start with you on this. What's the biggest misconception that owners or, or other trays have about the furniture in, in the space? The biggest misconception that people have? Um, you know, I, I went to some leadership training with this guy, Sean Merritt. And I don't know if George has been to Sean Merritt. I guess he trains a lot of dealers that would do what we do. But, um, you know, I think with furniture, the, the biggest misconception, at least from a, from a customer standpoint most of the time, is that um, people, people think that they're solving for tables and chairs. Okay. And, and they're not. And so, you know, like companies like the ones that George and I work for, and I think we've alluded to this a, a lot, you know, their mantra is space matters. Okay. Like space matters. Space matters to your productivity. Space matters to the morale of your company. Space matters to how you do your business every day. Um, it matters to the impression your customers have when they walk through your, when your space and, and we're not solving for tables and chairs. If we were solving for tables and chairs, George and I's companies wouldn't even exist because you can get cheaper tables and chairs at Ikea or at Walmart or at Office Depot or wherever that is. And Melissa probably wouldn't have a job if people were just solving for tables and chairs either. Right? So I think a lot of times people, the, the misconception is that, um, you know, furniture is, is just another commodity to be bought and that they don't understand the thought process behind why we use what we use, um, why there are 400 different you know, manufacturers of furniture and ways to do rooms and all of these things, um, because they, they all came about for very specific use cases and very specific um, activities that people need to do. And it's, it's great to have a partner that can help you navigate what's out there to really accomplish your goal. Melissa, what, what have you come across as, as some of the biggest mis misconceptions when it comes to talking about furniture and, and the furniture that goes in this? I think the biggest misconception that I see is that most clients think that it's like all sitting in a warehouse down the road and that we can have it instantly and make it whatever we need it to be. Um, when in fact, I think we all know that there's so much complexity that go into each thing that we specify that, um, it's, you know, made for a client and, you know, as everyone has mentioned, you know, a lot of this um, technology can be built into the systems and it's just it's so much more sophisticated than anyone I think can possibly imagine. George, what have you come across? Um, that's basically it in a nutshell. I mean, the, the whole thing is, uh, you know, the, the two schools of thought that we keep running into are the people who have been exposed to what we would say is the, the, the classic boardroom that has the 10 inch touchscreen in the middle of the table and they 
walk in and they have no idea what button to push to get a PowerPoint up on the screen. So that instantly has turned them off to technology clear across the board. And meanwhile, we're working with systems now from different manufacturers where you bring your laptop in, you plug in one USB port and that room is now connected to your, your laptop and you can do Skype or Zoom or whoever you want to use. And you have cameras, you have mic, you have sound reinforcement, you have the whole nine yards in there and file and everything else with just plugging in. But to get break through that barrier is there's been several years of bad AV that we have to break through with these people. And I'm not saying that the AV itself was actually bad. It was just their experiences with it was bad. Uh, Melissa, as we wrap up here, how do you communicate uh, with the technical trades, with electrical, with plumbing, and also with, with the IT and the AV folks, the functionality uh, of, of FF&E, and, 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 and is that important to communicate, you know, the, the use case of, of the furniture you're putting in? Yeah, I think it's probably one of the most important things that we do. I think that we see the biggest underutilization of space being when the users can't make the technology work. It's almost like the room is not there because they just, they can't use it. And so I think for us, it's making sure that all of those things um, do work properly and that they understand how they're used and how they're supposed to be used. And so really it's, you know, kind of what I said earlier, coming to the table earlier with all of those trades, getting everyone together to understand um, how the space needs to be used. Um, honestly, we usually put together documents that show kind of what all of the needs of the space will be. So um, if it's a flexible space, you know, what those different configurations look like and how they'll be used. Um, and then I think the other really big thing is working with our uh, clients on what kind of technology they already have. So, you know, are they all on laptops? What kind? Um, you know, the ports are important. You know, are they using Cisco? Are they using Zoom? What are they using so that we kind of know what their baseline is and how to integrate that properly early on? All right, Mark. Um, same kind of question. How do you get get the the IT folks and the AV folks to understand when you guys go into a meeting? You know what? Here, here's the furniture that we're using. This is what it's for. What this is the, its purpose, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think. For me, it's it's two pronged. So number one, it's it's proper needs analysis up front, which is something in AB we we need to work on. Um, you know, like we said about listening with intent. I think if you if you enter into a design discussion with the customer, um, that is more of a co-design, more of a partnership on what they're trying to accomplish, you end up with a lot more buy-in on what the final solution is, right? Because they designed it. Right. So it's, it's really hard to come back with a quote that does exactly everything that the customer told you they want to do. Um, now is it, is it a case where they really designed it or you just kind of positioned it where they think they designed it? Like you're, well, well, this is the thing though, but an organization is, an organization is going to know way more about how they work, yeah. what the, what the inertia is, what the acceptance of technology is going to be and what they actually need to get done, then you're ever gonna know. That's true. So all you're doing, and I say, I, I've said this a few times, I guess, lately, but you know, technology, technology is just a vehicle. Like the customer knows a destination, okay? They called an Uber. 
they called you. Think of yourself as Uber. We'll go AB as a service since everybody loves this term, right? We're, 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 the, we're Uber. We're the app. Okay. It could be a Toyota Corolla. It could be a, it could be a, you know, a Toyota Camry. It could be a Honda Civic. It doesn't really matter. It's going to get you to the airport, right? You're telling them where you're at and you're telling them where you want to go. And now your job as a technology company is to send the vehicle to site that gets them there. And that's all our job is, right? So the, the back end part of that doesn't matter so much. It matters to us. It does not matter to the customer. And I think right. the other part of what we can do to make sure that this is done right is we can actually take some good time to do number one training with the people that are going to use the room, not just the IT director to get our sign off and leave and prove that it worked, um, but to actually sit with users, sit through meetings, maybe support the first couple events that they have and make sure they know how to use things. And then do some ongoing user adoption training as new people are added. And if we added that as part of our managed services, guess what? People would use the systems consistently over time. And we would have a really good line as technology changed. We'd have a really good idea of how that room needed to flex and move to still be relevant as people changed the way they worked in that organization. And we don't do that. We think of this as, oh, we're going to change some projector light bulbs and we need to have a training so we can get a sign off. No, <laughs> the training is so people use the system so we get called back and the ongoing managed services so that we can make sure we keep an eye on the business as it changes and moves to be able to help them transition and continue to get value out of spaces as they go on. And if we had that mindset, we'd do a lot better. All right, Judge, you'll have the last word on this. Yeah, I mean, exactly. One of the, one of the things we offer um, is workplace analytics is where you can actually monitor um, the usage of the room. How many of the seats in the room are actually used? How many times are the rooms actually booked and used versus booked and not used? How many ad hoc meetings go on? So you can, you can provide that as a service to the client so that you show them you're helping them to, to design for the long term. It's like, hey, you know what? We put in 12 rooms. We found out that these two rooms are not being used. Let's find out why and let's redesign for you for the future. Or now when they roll out at other sites, add other floors, whatever they want to do, we have analytics that we can go back to them with and say, okay, this is, these are the type of designs that you want to be using. At the same token, you know, coaching them along the way and teaching them about the technology and what they're using and what they're finding out what their nightmares were from the past and versus how we can fix that for the future and not just promising saying, oh yeah, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. We'll give you a little cheat card. You know, my, my idea is that if the room needs a cheat card, you didn't design it right. You know, it's, 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 and, and that's the way a lot of these people are thinking. And some of them are, na are based across the country or around the world. They want to have that ex same experience. They walk into a collaboration area in New York or Hong Kong and need, they need to have that same experience. So we need to be there to help the customers achieve that without them breaking the bank or, cursing us and driving us out. We don't want to have one hit wonders. We're not trunk slammers and we need to, we need to um, sell ourselves as a service to them. All right, guys, that's going to be a good place to stop. Thank you all so much. Uh, with us uh, to chat today is Melissa or has been Melissa Pacey uh, from HGA. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, where can people find you or HGA? Thank you so much for having me. Um, you can find us at www.hga.com um, or you can also follow uh, my office on Instagram. We're at hga underscore SF. Mr. George Fournier from Danker. Thank you, sir. Oh, glad to be here. How do we get a hold of you or Danker? 
Oh, Danker you can find online at Danker.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Danker1829. That was the year we were founded. Um, and you can follow me on the Twitters at George V. Fournier uh, because I wanted to make just such an easy Twitter handle for everyone to find. This is because A.V. Grump was taken. So Yeah, yeah true, true. Um, <laughs> all right, Mr. Coxon, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people get a hold of you or Tangram? Uh, Tangram is at Tangram, T-A-N-G-R-A-M, TangramInteriors.com. Um, and then I am out on the Twitters as well. And I am at AV Phenom because I wanted to give myself my own nickname. And it works. You are a phenom. <laughs> All right. For us, for AV Nation, you can go by the website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, including two weekly programs that look at the news of AV. One is called AV Week. It records uh, every Friday, posts every Monday, and Resi Week, which posts every Wednesday. Also, while you're there, please check out our underwriter section. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you Architect and AV Week and all the other shows. All that and more at avnation.tv and avnation.tv. 